Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey guys, I'm Maddie Orlando. And I'm Lauren Orlando. As you probably guessed, we're sisters. And we're also co-hosts of the podcast, The Sister Diary. Every week, we let our listeners into real-life conversations like the ones that we have at home. We have an eight-year age gap, so we always have a different perspective on things, but that makes it pretty fun. We talk about navigating life, growing up on social media, and pretty much anything else that we find interesting. You can catch a new episode of The Sister Diary every Friday. Hi, friends, and welcome to the Papaya Podcast. I'm your hostess, trying her mostess, Sarah Nicole, and each week I'm going to be dishing out some sweetness mixed in with some seeds of wisdom or something like that. So get ready to get inspired, get candid, get real, because we are all in this digital space together. All right, y'all. Well, today we are recapping once again, but we are going back into 2019. Now, this was the most listened to podcast episode and probably the one that maybe shocked me the most about my own body. Now, maybe it was popular because it had a really catchy title because this one is all about vaginas. We brought on the vagina coach, Kim, and she blew my mind all about what happens with a woman's body, heck is pelvic floor, anything. And the fact that so many of us are doing Kegels wrong and that there's so much that we can learn about our own bodies to actually change our entire lives. So many of us are existing and living with common things that we think are just part of life, especially after having children, or as you get older, things like peeing a little bit when you sneeze or peeing a little bit when you go on a trampoline or different types of pains and hangups. And to know that not only is it not normal, but it's actually something that we can repair was just one of the most transformative conversations I've ever had. Now going into having another baby, which at this point, while you're listening, I don't know if she's here or not, but it's one of those things we got to go back on and I got to listen to again. And I have to replay all of those messages so that this time, this postpartum, everything will be different and that my pelvic floor hopefully will be able to recover quicker and better and more effectively by some of the advice that we learned today. So have a good listen, enjoy it. 
honestly, it was popular for a reason. And that's why I'm so excited to bring it back to refresh that conversation, or perhaps you've never heard it before. And yeah, let's talk about our dang vaginas. Or if you're a male listener or whatever, you can also just learn about our vaginas. And I feel like that's also equally important. I mean, whatever, right? So let's get into the show and hope you enjoy and we'll see you next week. All right, everyone, welcome back. I am sitting in a hotel. I've lured another guest into a hotel room. This is like my classic move now. But I am in um, kind of dreary Vancouver, but it was a little bit sunny today. And I'm really, really excited about this next guest. We kind of connected because we're both going to the same conference tomorrow, which is the Mompreneurs Conference. And she is a mompreneur that I think you are going to love to get to know. I am stupidly excited for you to meet. Please meet Kim, the vagina coach. (laughs) Well, I guess you're just vagina coach. It's not the, but still. Ah, the doesn't matter. You're a vagina coach. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I'm sorry, but that's like the coolest title I think anybody's ever gotten to walk around and claim. Yeah. It actually started because of the Mompreneur Conference, actually, now that I think about it. Yeah. Okay. Like, tell that. Like, tell how this, how does one become a vagina coach? I'm, I'm a little jealous. (laughs) If I could have an excuse to talk about vaginas all day. thinking that I was going to become a vagina coach. (laughs) In your high school, in your high school thing, what do you aspire to be? I'm going to be, no, it was um, accidentally on purpose, as I say, and So it started because I was afraid of tearing in childbirth. That's really what started it all. My mom had issues. So growing up, I was fascinated with childbirth. I saw a birth video in grade six and I thought, oh my God, I'm never doing that. And then I thought, well, my mom did it and other women did it and people are carrying on. So it must not be that bad. And when I was talking to my mom, she did have challenges. So she had chronic back pain. She had a tummy that she was never happy with. She Mm. had a leaky bladder. So I noticed that gradually she stopped doing some of her activities. She used to run every morning. She was always very active and then started to kind of phase that out. She had surgery in her 50s. And so growing up, I kind of felt like I'm not going to do this. I, I like my body as it is. I don't want it to get ruined. And so that was my life. And then when I decided I did want to have children, what changed that was I watched my sister-in-law give birth. And that was, oh, yeah. you know, for me to where we're sitting, like yeah. you were my sister-in-law and I'm yeah. watching this. And I remember walking in the room going, oh my God, that's a big vagina. Like I'd never seen birth that way before. And it was inspiring and she used midwives and she had no tearing. And so she had a completely different story than what my mom had and what I kind of pictured birth to be. And then I thought, okay, I think I... I'd met my husband and we wanted a family. So I said, I, I can do this. So the next year I was pregnant. And I remember asking my midwives, you know, I, I really want to have a different story than my mom. What can I do? And they had told me about perineal massage, which is I something know. my sister-in-law had done as well. When I first heard about perineal massage, I was 19 or no, I was 20. And I remember telling people about it, but I kept calling it perennial massage. And they're like, that's a garden, Sarah. That's not your vagina. And I was like, I've repeated this to probably 20 people who have not corrected me. Yeah, Yeah, I hear that all the time. Can you explain what that is for those who don't know? Yeah, so the the perineum is the area between, it's, it's skin. It's an area between the vagina and the anus. And it's very, very prone, very, very common to have tearing. Uh, It used to be common that they would actually cut that tissue and it was called an episiotomy or it still is. Yes. Okay. Lots of people still do. But mine was to the side. Most now, most of them are. Okay. It used to be standard. Mm -hmm. You know, in my mom's day, everybody had one because they thought that it would make it easier. They thought, well, if we just create more space for the baby, it'll be easier for mom and babe. But it was creating 
almost like it started the path for tearing. So people were having more severe injuries yeah. and it was more painful to heal from. And Ooh, so, yes. yeah, so it's challenging. And so they told me about that. And then I was doing more investigation and they had said, and I've also heard about this product called the Epino. And the Epino is a biofeedback device. It's like a balloon that you put in your vagina and it it gradually inflates and it creates sensations of stretch and pressure and discomfort. So trying to mimic what you're going to feel in birth. Oh, cool. And then you have to learn how to relax, but it's also doing the perineal massage for Interesting. you. And so I used one of these and had a great experience. And at the end I thought, oh my God, like, why is this not something that every single woman I've uses? never even heard of it before. Yeah. And it, it should be, anyway, so that's what started it all. So mm-hmm. I, I contacted the company, they're a German manufacturer. And I said, can I be a distributor in Canada? And they said, yes. And so it started very easily. Yeah. And my intention wasn't for it to be a business. I just thought I would sell a few on the side. Uh, I had worked in fitness and then got out of it and I was working in HR. And then long story short, in 2009, I was laid off. And just before that, I had been saying, you know, I wish I could be at home more with my kids. Mm -hmm. Uh, My husband travels a lot. He's a pilot. I didn't have any family because we had just moved to Ontario. And so I was feeling like I wanted to be at home with my kids and have something to do. And so I thought I'll turn this into something and I was going to give myself a year to grow it. And then I was laid off. So I thought, okay, here we go. Now's the time. Yeah. Kicked out of the nest. (laughs) That's kind of start how it started. And then I started very much with pregnancy as the the main goal, like helping people prevent pelvic floor challenges while they're still pregnant. That was the the theme. Okay. And then I met two other women and we started a second business called Belly's Inc. And we manufacture a postpartum recovery garment. I saw that. That's really cool, actually, because a lot of people deal with like muscle tearing in their stomach area and just like a really hard. And I think what's what's difficult is that we've come into this day and age where like waist trainers are a thing. And that's not what this is. This is like a this is like a more compression to help heal the uterus. Yeah, like and it's even more, back, right? it's a, it, that's part of it. So the base layer tank top provides a little bit of compression, but mm. really the wrap is is more so what I find to be the most valuable and, the, and it actually supports more the pelvis. So okay. the intention behind it is when the muscles in the abdominal wall and the pelvic floor are stretched beyond their optimal length, when any muscle is stretched beyond its optimal length, it is hindered in its capacity to contract and to use its full force. Right. So in the early weeks postpartum, the body, the, the ability to provide core control and stability is is not as effective. And so the wrap really provides a bit of a, it's almost like a crutch and it's temporarily providing external support while the um, rebuilding happens, while the retraining happens of exercise for the internal support. Okay, So we started building that business and then yada, yada, I moved back to Vancouver and the way that the vagina coach, like getting, this is a long story to tell you how. No, that's it. I'm, I'm still here for it. I like this. So when I was speaking at the Mompreneur Conference, which is what we're here for here, my talk was called How Optimizing Your Pelvic Floor Can Make You a Better Mompreneur. Mm. And there had been several talks through the day. Now that's and a segue. Many, yeah. many, many people were talking about like, you know, marketing coach or business, whoever. There was yeah. many different types of business coaches. And so I just walked onto stage and I said, and now you've got a vagina coach for yeah. your business. And it just kind of, it just kind of came out of my mouth. And I was like, oh my God, that that's is so good. That so sums up because I had moved away from pregnancy yeah. as the only thing. And it kind of was, you know, moving into after and even into menopause. And the, I used to be called the fitness doula and that just wasn't, it didn't describe what I did completely yeah, anymore. Of course. And so that was like, I think it was maybe three or four years ago when I, I had that kind of light bulb. And so that's how that happened. 
That's incredible. Now, I'm going to tell you my story because this is why I'm so fascinated by you and what you do. So I was 20 when I got pregnant. I had never even seen my vagina right up until post-delivery. Mm-hmm. Like I'd never seen myself, never took a mirror to it. I remember in delivery, I had midwives and they said, do you want to see a mirror? And I was like, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. I think they thought it would help me with my pushing. And mm-hmm. at that time, if you had an epidural, you lost your midwives as your primary care and a GP had to come in mm-hmm. um, or an OB, sorry. And so the OB had come in the room, but there was another woman having a baby around the same time. And she was running out of time to do both. Mm-hmm. And I remember the look on the midwives' faces when this OB made the call, we're doing an episiotomy. And I was completely numb. I didn't Mm -hmm. feel it. I heard the cutting of my skin and a baby was out. And I didn't really think much past that. So for then all of a sudden the next day, you know, pain kind of came and it came so furiously and so bad. And I remember just like looking at my midwives and saying like, what what can I have? And they're Mm -hmm. like, you can have a Tylenol or an Advil. Mm -hmm. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like I was stitched. I don't even know how many stitches. It was a lot. Mm -hmm. My first baby was nine pounds and, you know, it was so traumatic on my 21 year old body. Mm -hmm. And I remember going home and I was so ashamed to like still talk about my body and all these different things. And the midwives are, were really like, they made me comfortable and they made me confident in a way, but I still was super, super terrified. Mm-hmm. So six weeks down the line, my stitches have not released yet. I'm not even able to pee. The only way I was able to pee was to sit into a bath and pee with Mm -hmm. Epsom salts. It was all just so painful and so scary. And I just was so focused on this like baby that I didn't know quite what else to do. Finally, we realized that there was some form of an infection and that had to be treated. A year later, I finally stopped feeling daily pain. Every time I stood up, it was painful. Like the entire process, I thought I would never have children again because it was so horrific. By the time my daughter was one, about a week later, I was pregnant with my second and I had a completely different experience. I had a midwife with me the entire time and she knew my entire fear, similar to you with your mother. I was so scared of tearing. Mm -hmm. That's all I could think about was I can't go through another year of this. I can't uh, with a baby and trying to do all these things. I don't know how to do this. And she massaged Mm -hmm. that baby out Mm -hmm. and I walked out without any stitches and I thought, oh my gosh, this is what childbirth was meant to be. It wasn't meant to be trauma for a year. Uh, Eventually, then I had my son two years later and I was in Ottawa at this time. They didn't have midwives up there. So back to an OB Mm -hmm. and sure enough, tore in a different spot, but tore again. And I was just like this, holy crap, it could be such a great experience. And and it can be so horrific depending on who, like, I guess even just the level of just awareness around, like I remember looking at the, right. And so with the OB in Ottawa, I remember saying like, I've had an episiotomy, like it was all happening really, really fast. And I said, I've had an episiotomy the last time they had to massage the baby so that I didn't tear Mm -hmm. because there's quite a bit of scar tissue there. Mm -hmm. And they looked at me and they said, oh no, we don't touch you. And I was like, what? I just remember being like, like the fear just overcame me again. So that one, it wasn't so bad. It was only a couple stitches. But flash forward about four years ago, I got onto a trampoline with my kids. You know, I'm all healed. I'm done having babies. (laughs) The damn trampoline. And I peed. Mm -hmm. And I was like, 
what the hell was that? Mm-hmm. And I, I wasn't like ashamed of it. I ended up like telling a bunch of people and like joking about it online and stuff. And people were like, you realize that's an issue. You shouldn't have that happening to you. And I was like, what? Mm-hmm. That? What do you mean? They're like, no, that's a pelvic floor thing. You should be retraining your body. Like there, there's stuff that you can do and I've still not done it. Mm-hmm. But it fascinates me that I am nine years postpartum almost 10 years postpartum. It's been 14, almost 14 years since I've given birth for the first time. And I'm now just understanding that there mm-hmm. is stuff that could have been done and prevented before I had kids totally. and all the way after I had kids. And now I just find it like, holy crap, this is something that needs to be talked about. We need to put mirrors to our vaginas and we need to have conversations about them. Totally. And, and wouldn't so it hit like the, the knowledge piece and the awareness is we are in a position of power when we know and when we can make decisions based on the information that we have. And as it stands, as what you just said with your story, which is very, very typical, is people go in thinking, OK, well, I'll, the doctor's here. They they must yeah. know. I'll just I'm just going to trust this. And that's fine. You want to have a trust. Yeah. But there are so many things that women don't know mm-hmm. and they aren't told and if they had been, it could change their birth experience. It could change their recovery and and actually make them focus on recovery. Because I feel like that's a really overlooked piece of childbirth in our North American culture, which is right. very, very much of who can get back to the gym fastest, who can yeah. get into, who, who can not look pregnant the quickest, which I find it funny, especially in the kind of the social media driven world that we have, where as soon as somebody's pregnant, every day there's, you know, a picture of now it's the size of a cantaloupe or an avocado or mm-hmm. whatever vegetable it is. The belly is revered through the whole pregnancy. And as soon as the baby is born, it becomes a place of shame and we need to hide it. And we have to make sure that nobody thinks we look pregnant anymore. And huh. you know what I mean? Like, it's just so, yeah, that's so true backwards. And, um, and so when we were talking about the rap earlier, mm-hmm. it's also interesting because in the kind of the body positive movement, it is sometimes looked at as a waist trainer or as a, oh, you're just trying to get to shame women and make them feel like they need to flatten their abs after, which is like so completely opposite to what we designed our product for. But it's interesting. and And I wish that really my whole when I first started this whole kind of mission, it was really from a preventive perspective to get yeah. women informed. If you go into your pregnancy and and your recovery with more information and with a plan for recovery and with knowledge of pelvic floor physiotherapy, exactly. which should be, it should be something that every woman has, mm-hmm. especially women that go through pregnancy and birth. And it should be paid for by our government, really. Right. And and you know what, too, like coming back to the point in terms of like the body positive stuff, you know, I've had this debate before when, when people talk about stretch mark creams and I'm like, I still believe to this day, if there was something out there that could prevent them they were painful. They mm-hmm. should have been prevented. If there's something that you can do in your aftercare that enables your body to retract and be stronger in the long run, mm-hmm. that's probably something that we should endorse. But if you haven't been able to do that or you didn't do that or you tried and things didn't work, whatever, it's not shame inducing on either side. But when there are tools in place to support women, like mm-hmm. we do need to kind of get behind those things. And it's totally. not the same category as the other things. But I'm I'm curious too, do you have any clients who are not in the pregnancy and postpartum world? A thousand percent. I, most, really? most people are not in, in where I am really? now. Really? Yeah. So what is your main, like, what do a lot of people come for you? Because the one thing you were talking about, you said how like my story is like a typical story. What I find fascinating is like, these things are common, but they shouldn't be normal. Right. And I love that you're, if you are, like you're doing clients before they even come into that. Cause mm-hmm. I think it's, I think it's such a disservice that we've done to our bodies where we're just like, I'm freaked out by my vagina. Therefore, I'm not going to talk about it or look at it or totally. ask questions. Yep. 
Yeah. And and so it's a it's a place of for some it's a place of shame. For some right. it's a place of they're uncomfortable or they think it's taboo. Yeah. Um, even from a self-pleasure perspective, they feel like that's maybe not something they should talk about or or even explore or do. So it's kind of a part of the body where you don't really you don't really pay attention to it unless right. there's something that's not working. You know, you mentioned pain. Obviously, pain is something that will bring your attention there a lot all the right. time. And mm-hmm. and that's hard to let go. But or if you're experiencing incontinence or if you're experiencing prolapse where you, yep. you feel like there's something in your vagina all the time, then you're going to you're gonna be aware of it and it's going to probably overtake a lot of your thoughts because the pelvic floor, the, the core is so central to so many things that we do yeah. in our life. But most people, I'd say the two most common things are incontinence and prolapse. So, so what's prolapse? Prolapse occurs where, so in our, in the female body, we have a bladder and a uterus and a rectum. Okay. And if you can imagine... The, the listeners won't be able to see this and I won't completely demonstrate it. But if you can imagine putting your arm through your sweatshirt arm okay. and hold it up. So pretend that that sweatshirt arm is your vagina. Yep. And at the top, so where your hand would be poking out would be your cervix and your uterus. Right. And on one side would be your bladder, so the anterior wall of the yep. vagina. And then on the back side would be your rectum. So that would be the posterior part of your right. vagina. And a prolapse occurs when one or sometimes all of those organs start to shift out of their optimal position and either descend into or bulge into the vagina. So if the rectum bulges into the vagina, it's called a rectocele. Okay. If the bladder bulges into the anterior wall of the vagina, it's called a cystocele. And if the uterus starts to descend into the vagina, that would be a uterine prolapse. Those are the three most common. Interesting. And those things can happen... Without childbirth and... thousand percent. Interesting. Yeah. I think I've just only heard about it when it's like a postpartum thing. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because when I was starting to um, try to, you know, talk about the Mm -hmm. epi no more, like this is 15 years ago, and I started meeting with doctors. And I remember being in this one meeting with a doctor and his son, who was also a doctor. And the two of them were, he's one of the leading, he's maternal, I think he's head of maternal and fetal medicine at Sunnybrook, maybe. Okay. He's a very well-renowned, known doctor. And I was in the meeting with him and and they were very supportive of the epino, which I was super excited to have because medical is usually a little more hesitant yeah, on stuff like of that. of course. And I remember him and his son having a conversation and they asked me, I was very new to this. And in my mm-hmm. world, really all I knew about at the time was incontinence. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, you know, if somebody had a cystocele, would they be able to to use this? And I was trying to be all professional. And, and in my head, I'm like, what the fuck is a cystocele? You know? <laughs> That's what I'm doing right now. Like, what the hell is that? And uh, so I'm like, okay, I'm going to go home and I'll search that up. But so I had never heard of prolapse before. Gotcha. And then it became something that obviously I was talking about more the more I spoke with physios and other doctors right. and started to learn about. And that can sometimes almost be more common than the incontinence piece. Like almost 50% of women have some degree of prolapse. And in the early weeks postpartum, I think it's like 83 or 84% of women usually have a stage one or stage two, which usually will resolve, not always. But again, back to the knowledge and the informed piece, if women know about that, if they know about pelvic floor physio, if they're Mm -hmm. getting assessed and checked, and if they know that they have an early stage prolapse, then they would potentially... When you're informed, you make informed choices. Of course, you become a better advocate for yourself. Totally. So maybe you don't go back to your... to that fitness class as soon yeah. as possible. Or maybe you are more motivated to see physio. Yeah. Maybe you understand the importance of restoring and, and resting and retraining right. your core. But for some women who, who have no idea, they get their six-week green light. They go back, you know, kind of from zero to 60. 
Mm-hmm. And if things haven't fully restored or repositioned and then they're adding that load, the demands yeah. of jumping and what have you, then that can sometimes set them up for some challenges. And then I hear all the time, I wish somebody had told me about that. I guess that's one of my big questions too, is what is it actually, what are the symptoms of a prolapse? Because if so many people are suffering from them and we don't even know that that technically is going on, what is something that potentially somebody would be like, oh, maybe that's something I should go check out. Like, what are those symptoms? Are they very obvious or are they subtle? Like for me, like the whole peeing myself, like I was just like, oh, it's because I have had kids. Like that's the end of that story. Yeah. Didn't really even think anything more to it. But yeah, for both kinds of pro or all three kinds of prolapses, what would would kind of be the symptoms for those? So early stage prolapse can often be asymptomatic. So usually in North America, prolapse are usually graded one, two, three, four, whereas one is very early stage and four would be where it's actually, if you can picture a woman, it kind of looks like a scrotum. Like if you picture a bulge out of your vagina, that would be a stage four. So you would probably know that that's happening. You would definitely know that's happening. But early stage, like stage one and two, Often you have no idea, or sometimes the symptoms might be back pain, or they might just kind of be a, a kind of a little tugging sensation that you would associate hmm. maybe with ovulation, or maybe you just hurt yourself, you you yeah. worked out too hard or something. So because, and this is like my one of my big soapboxes is that every woman should see a pelvic floor physiotherapist every single year, even if you have no symptoms, for your entire life. Like we go to the dentist. Oh, you know, like we have all this I've other never preventive been to maintenance. One. I'm go. like, I need to, apparently. What does that look <laughs> what does that look like when you go? Like, is it a physical exam? Is it yes. a questionnaire? Yeah. So they can actually examine you and like make sure things are Yeah. So pelvic floor physios are regular physiotherapists that are okay. have additional training and they are licensed to go internally. Mm. And they will do they have all the other skills that other physios do. So they will yep. have an external exam, they look at posture, they look at movement, that you do go through a very extensive questionnaire like health okay. screen. And then usually assessments last for about an hour the first time. And okay. it's externally. So they will look at the genitalia. They will look for if there is any scar tissue. They'll look to see how mobile it is, if mm-hmm. it's really stuck. Mm-hmm. And then they will go usually with one, sometimes two gloved fingers. They will insert those into the vagina. And what they're checking for is tone. So they will... The tone of your vagina. The tone, like, yeah, like we have tone in our body. So is the tone tone in my voice? What is the tone of my vagina? Is it an angry tone or is it... That'd be so funny. I'm such a child. You have an angry vagina, yeah. But you kind of can have it. I would think an angry angry vagina could be like a very tight, very like a lot of uh, too much tone over over Overtoned. hypertonic, basically, that would be I feel, considered. I, th- I thought that was the goal. That's what everybody thinks. Well, I want a really tight, <laughs> hypertone vagina. <laughs> Honestly, even yeah. my mom said when she gave birth, the doctor looked at her and was like, do you want us to add an extra stitch for your husband? Oh, God. Like, oh, my gosh. That's what? such a terrible, like... Dis- Sorry, mom, for telling that story about your <laughs> vagina. I don't even know if you got the stitch. Um, um, yeah. Yeah, they like, call it the husband stitch. Which oh, my is, gosh. Which oftentimes it's... It, is a huge source of pain for women going forward. But he's thinking only about the pleasure of the man, not nothing to do with a woman. So a tight vagina could be an angry vagina. Could be. Could be. It could be. And and that we're just kind of half joking there. But so they're assessing for, is there a balance? Like does one, does one side, is there more give on the other side? And is one side really rigid or is it fairly balanced? And then they will assess, can you do a Kegel? So they want to assess the contract. Whoa, I called it Kegels forever. Kegel, 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 tomato, tomato. It doesn't matter. You're okay. Like how many times have I said that <laughs> word wrong? I actually, I interchange some. Usually I say Kegel more often, but okay. Kegel, it doesn't matter. Okay. Kegel, Kegel. 
So a true Kegel, Kegel, is a contraction. So there's yep. like a squeeze, a hug, and then there should be a lift, like a drawing up and in. Mm-hmm. And then there needs to be the letting go. And if you have somebody who has, you know, quote unquote, as we were talking, an angry vagina or a really kind of hyper tone yep. vagina, the contraction may not be felt, not because there isn't the ability, but it's like there isn't as much ability left. So if you imagine, oh, okay. say I walked around with in a bicep curl, I was carrying a bag of groceries all day long and my arm was partially flexed most of the day. By the end of that day, my arm, even by like an hour later, my arm is going to be sore and tired. And yeah. if I was going to have to be lifting something heavier or more again, I, my arm would be like, uh, no, no, I have nothing yeah. more to give. So the same thing happens in the floor. If the pelvic floor muscles are held in a kind of chronically tense or over-contracted state yep. for the majority of the time, then they lose their ability to generate power. That's one of the ways that leaking can happen. So when a sneeze oh. comes, they're, they're, they're just like, uh, sorry, I can't manage it. So in terms of like incontinence, because I feel like it gets normalized for women who, as they age, yep. can it be preventative or is that just something that will naturally happen as you age? No. And if you already are so far gone that you are having incontinence with your bladder, can you heal from it? Yes. Even at an older age? Yes. thousand percent. Yes. Mom, I hope you're listening. Yes. She talks about this all the time too. Totally. And pelvic floor muscle training is, uh, again, I'm, I have to remember, it's about 83%, I think. So studies show that pelvic floor muscle training is 83% effective in curing, like not just helping reduce, but curing, curing. incontinence. Wow. So- if you see a physio and you learn properly how to perform a proper Kegel, yep. and so making sure that if you do have a hypertonic vagina, so mm-hmm. one that is holding more tension. <laughs> what? That sounds like such a goal. I'm like, I want a hypertonic vagina. No, you don't. Because I know, but it sounds awesome. <laughs> it just sounds like it's like super powered. Totally. <laughs> yeah, that's true. How she does sound like a superpower. But so if you have too much tone, then things like sex can be painful. Inserting a tampon could be painful. Right. Moving could be painful. Releasing your bladder might not be as effective. So okay. if, you're, if you can't relax your pelvic floor muscles, the bladder can't contract and empty properly. True. So the goal isn't to, if you don't have enough tone, the goal is to increase tone. If okay. you have too much tone, the goal is to, to re- okay. release so some to tone. balance it out. So you have to the balance. Yeah, exactly. So I have a question because I'm a huge fan of menstrual cups. I've mm-hmm. talked about it many times. I've used Diva Cup for years. Mm-hmm. And every once in a while, someone will come to me and say, I use the Diva Cup. However, I put it in and it falls out. Like mm-hmm. it goes all the way down. It's like pushing out. It won't hold in. Mm-hmm. What is that an indication of? Potentially. A couple things. So it could be that there isn't enough tone okay. to hold. So they would need to work on strengthening the pelvic gotcha. floor muscles. Okay. So that could be one. The other could be so when, especially when we talk about prolapse, there's yep. something called intra-abdominal pressure. And we we always have and we need intra-abdominal pressure. It's part of our stability con- and our control system. Okay. But when we aren't able to manage pressures, so pressures are standing up from a chair, laughing, coughing, jumping, exerting some force will increase intra-abdominal pressure. Right. And if we, for whatever reason, lose our capacity or our ability to manage that, mm-hmm. then things like leaking happen or back pain or diastasis, the bulging in yep. the abdominal wall can yep. happen. So when the pressure goes down on the pelvic floor, that pushes 
the organs down as well. So that can be a contributor to prolapse. Okay. And if you have a menstrual cup in or even a tampon in, yeah. if you're constantly, if the pressure is not being managed properly throughout the day, then that pressure would contribute to the descent of Makes your sense. cup. Yeah. Again, I guess people just have to go to their public floor therapist and find these thousand things percent. Out. Yeah. Okay. So forgive me for the silliness of some of these questions, but I honestly am just so curious. Okay. So one of the things that I noticed was a huge shift in like, I don't know if it's just aging or if it's from giving birth, but like queefing. Mm -hmm. Never had it before. Mm -hmm. Have children. Now it's like a thing. Mm -hmm. Not like in yoga. Like I know that it's like a normal thing and stuff like that. But part of me was like, it happens like after sex or like all these different things. But I'm like, I just, is that normal? Is that like, I shouldn't even say normal, but like, is that okay? Is that just something that's going to happen? Or is that like an indicator of something? Well, it, it can yeah, happen. Like a squeaky toy in the bed. Like yeah. I'm just like, is that something that is, should be addressed? Yeah. It's, I mean, it can be an indicator of what it is, is it's air that's trapped in the yeah. vagina. And when that pressure, when we're talking about, so sometimes it happens, you know, as you just said, after sex, or mm -hmm. if you move in bed or you try to get up out of bed, that can create intra-abdominal pressure. Okay. And again, if if there's air trapped in there and then there's an increase in pressure, it's like it's blowing out, right? Does that make right. sense? Yeah, it totally does. So it can become more common if you don't have as much control in your pelvic floor. Okay. So not necessarily, again, it's not saying that there's not enough tone. Mm -hmm. It might be that there's more tone than's needed. And the, again, it's not, it doesn't have the ability to contract enough to manage that. Right. So there are some people who, like I always come back to it to say, some people like queefing and some people it doesn't bother queefing that they queef. For other people are I like, I really don't want to queef. Me, but whenever it happens, I'm like, why did that happen? Like what just happened there? Like it, it just feels very like sudden. And I just remember during a time that I used to be so ashamed of it because yep. I was like so young and so yep. foreign to my body. I just remember it being like a very sudden thing. Like suddenly this was happening and I was like, why the heck am I getting so much air trapped inside of me? What's going on? And it seemed to be right after giving birth. I had never experienced that before. So yep. I, I wasn't sure if that was like actually a side effect of, you know, that traumatic birth experience. If it was could actually be. something that, you know, yeah. I live with forevermore. Or well, and, and in your case, so you have had an episiotomy twice. You have once I had one and then a tear once and tear. Okay, sorry. Yeah. So no, scar great. tissue from both of them. Yeah. And what happens with scar tissue is it's again it's a normal response to healing and mm -hmm. we we need it to happen and we need those adhesions. It's part of it's yep. normal. But they can get sticky or stuck and they can interfere sometimes with the ability of the muscles to mm. contract and relax in yep. a balanced way. So when I was talking earlier about assessing tone, yep. if there is scar tissue and you said you had it down on one side then potentially that side might not contract the same as the other side. And so there would be an imbalance in that Kegel contraction. Right. And so when something like, you know, air is trapped and then you move in a way where all of a sudden it, the floor usually responds to that intra-abdominal pressure by a gentle contraction. Yep. But if it's not doing it in a balanced way, then it can contribute to a queef happening. Does that make sense? That makes so much more sense. Yeah. It's also very funny watching you talk about this because I wish other people could <laughs> see what you're doing because every time you talk about like a Kegel, you do like the hand gesture of what a Kegel would look like in a vagina. And like in a, every time you're talking about like the exam part, you've got your like two fingers as if it's an exam. And I'm just like sitting here like- Animated. This is so, yeah, you're very animated. It's very fun. Let's talk about sex because I saw in one of your posts, you were talking about pelvic floor, Kegels in general, actually- helping us with our sex lives. And this is the thing that I think is the biggest devastation to womankind is that we don't orgasm during sex. 
Not only that, but a lot of women don't know how to orgasm. They're not in tune with their body. I will fully admit it was like three years before I ever experienced one during sex. I mean, that was like such a foreign thing for me. And a lot of it came down again to that shame around my body, that not knowing my body, that feeling like it was almost like taboo or wrong to like touch yourself or have anything like that. And now as time's going on, I'm realizing that the more I, the more I understand my body, the better sex is. Mm -hmm. However, I've never known that like pelvic floor and Kegels could actually enhance sex. Totally. How does that happen? So, well, next time you have sex, try some Kegels. During it? Yeah, totally. Okay. Because you can use. What are you doing? He'll be like, What are you doing? And keep doing it. Um, No, but you can use your turbo, whatever we call it. (laughs) It's my super vagina. It's my super vagina. My superhero. Yeah. So (laughs) using a partner, whether it's, it doesn't matter if they're male or female or if it's a penis or a toy or or fingers, but that can be good biofeedback. So for people who are learning, again, here's my hands, but if, if you are learning how to do your kegels and you have something to squeeze against yep. and try to draw into you, then that can be helpful for you from a training perspective. But they mm-hmm. can also give you the feedback of, yeah, I can totally feel that. And interesting. so that's one piece of it. So it can be something that can enhance your sensation mm-hmm. as well as your partner's. Mm-hmm. But also pelvic floor muscles that have a good amount, like an, an optimal amount of tone who, yeah. who they're not super stuck or tight and they're not completely lax. They have more, their ability to sense better, I guess is what I'm saying. And okay. so it goes in line with the, the body, in, like if when you're in bed or wherever you're having sex and you're worried about, you know, do I look fat? Do I, do I smell? Yeah. Do I, you know, all the things that go through your mind, you're not relaxed, you're not in the moment and that True. can impede lubrication and it may contribute to muscles being a little bit less likely to relax. Yeah. And that, again, the mind, but also the body can interfere then with your sensation. And if you can be in the moment and allow the muscles to respond mm-hmm. how they would re- like just let them do their job rather than us kind of getting in the way. I do find that the way that we think about ourselves and our body and that self-consciousness and that that loss of confidence, it does strip us of our true intimacy with somebody mm-hmm, and totally. understanding like that enjoyment and that need to like relax. Like I've I've read all the stuff in terms of like why foreplay is so important and like what actually happens to the female body that actually will allow yourself more chances to have come to orgasm and Mm -hmm. stuff. But not only that, I do have a question because when you orgasm, your vagina does clench. Like it almost does a natural kegel. kegel. That's the superhero kegel right there. Okay. So that's why like, so doing that during sex and then allowing yourself. So if you have a stronger or more exercised vagina, then is it making your orgasm stronger? Yes. What? There's your motivation. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yes. This is wild. And does it increase your chances of orgasm? I would say yes. I would say yes, but there's lots of other things that can can play a part in that. But but I would say yes, because if you have a sort of optimally functioning pelvic floor, yes, and uh, you know the less tone, your sensation might not be as heightened and too much tone, you might be uncomfortable or painful. So if you're, if your tone is kind of in that optimal range and yep. you're just in the moment and you're, yep. then I would say yes. Okay. Um, and so getting you to the optimal range can sometimes mean exercising your pelvic floor and getting it working. That makes sense. And you know what? I just signed up. I have your challenge right now. I have your 
28-day Kegel Challenge. Can you explain what that is? Yeah. So my philosophy is always movement-based. Okay. And I don't believe in Kegels at every red light or, you know, just while you're brushing your teeth, (laughs) you know, the things that we've always heard you're supposed to do. Because it's better than nothing and Mm -hmm. bringing awareness to your pelvic floor throughout the day, if that's the only time you get to do it, better than nothing. Yep. However, that's sitting usually in a in a posteriorly tilted position, which is not always, usually in a posterior tilt, our pelvic floor is actually a little bit shortened mm-hmm. and we sit a lot in the day. So it's usually kind of in that stuck position. And again, if we had a short, tight muscle, like holding grocery bags on our arm, yep. and then if I did more bicep curls, that's like doing more kegels with a short, tight, and it just kind of works the muscle opposite to what it actually needs. It needs gotcha. more lengthening. So if you're sitting at every red light doing it, not only is your position not optimal, but it's not, it's not allowing, it's not training your pelvic floor to respond to lifting a suitcase or right. lifting a car seat with your baby or bags of groceries or all the things that we do dynamically life through the day. Yeah. yeah. So my three C approach is kegels need to be done correctly. They need to be done consistently and they need to be done coordinated with movement. And I created an online program that was kind of like a DIY with education and exercise and yeah. and people liked it, but they they still wanted the daily reminders yeah. and they still wanted something to kind of get them in that I still, routine. I'm, 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 I didn't even know there was like proper position. Yeah. I am learning. You're going to learn so, so much, much in this challenge. No so, kidding. So the challenge really came about is to, it's app based. So okay. again, most people are, 99% of people are on their phones all yeah. day. So it gives you the daily reminder to do it. It gives you the instruction how to do it. So each day you have five things. Two okay. of them are the down training, as I call it. So the relaxation and the learning to let go. And then mm-hmm. three of the exercises are the up training. So learning to contract and lift because we need the balance of both. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're not sitting at a red light. You're, you're doing things like squats and lunges and bridges oh. and all sorts of movements that you do through the day, but you're just doing them with a pelvic floor awareness or intention. Exactly. Oh, that's really cool. So you can kind of integrate it like that. Yeah. Cause I think that's, I I can be honest. I don't think that I've ever done a Kegel like during an exercise. I think I've done it like most people do, where it's like when you think about it or, you know, as many as you can, when you're brushing your teeth or those types of things. So it's interesting to know that it it can be done like a different way. And I'm so fascinated that I could actually, you know, I don't, I didn't know that so many things could truly be healed by this kind of stuff. Yeah. How long a day does somebody typically when you're doing one of these challenges, how many minutes a day would it normally take to run through? It's like the- five to 10 minutes. Oh, it's pretty yeah. quick. It's pretty quick. It depends. Like there's a couple of the release exercises that you might stay there for yeah. a few minutes almost, but most of them, yeah, five to 10 minutes. And people like the reminders and they like the, there's points associated with it. And yeah. after you've checked something off, you get a satisfying ding and a green, like yeah. you're complete. And people yeah. love that sort of self-motivation um, and, and reassurance. And so it it incorporates some gamification in there yep. and motivation. There's a group chat so people can ask questions and I'm coaching them along the way. If they're like, I can't do this with this. I don't have a ball. What's my modification? Or this hurts my knees. What other way could I do this? So I'm kind of coaching along the way as well. And when you reach certain point levels, you unlock bonus content that's like oh, other really education. Fun. And so it's fun. It's engaging. And and your Instagram is really fun and educational too. I heard that you have had some troubles getting on Facebook with some of these, with some of your posts, which is so funny because I'm like, there's nothing offensive or even like scandalous about your stuff. Where are you standing with now in terms of like that social media part of it and it being like now accepted to have like, you freaking have like a puppet of a vagina. Like I don't even get it. <laughs> it's downstairs right now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I'm going to take a picture with it. No. So what happened with Facebook? It wasn't that they were not allowing my posts. It's mm. that originally, so my my legal business name is what my page was. So it's Pelvian Wellness. And, okay. and when I was, so three years ago, again, I was kind of transitioning the brand yeah. and Vagina Coach, when I tried to change the name, they said it was inappropriate. It was a not a term that was used. So I tried many times over the last few years. And yeah. then recently there, the regulations have changed slightly. Like there are other vagina pages on there. And gotcha. what I, I needed to do it almost in a kind of a step-by-step process that eventually eliminated the pelvian part and just, so anyway, long story short, it is now Vagina Coach. You're now Vagina Coach. Yeah. Congrats. And um, on you Instagram and it. Facebook, I've made it. <laughs> now, how has it been? You are a mother of teenage boys and I believe in this so hard because I have two girls and then I have a boy and, you know, it's been so interesting watching him grow up in this kind of female dominated environment mm-hmm. where even, you know, when I was a single mom, it was just us three girls and one boy. So, I really like to talk about things because I I didn't want my kids to feel shame around stuff. My mom tried to do this with me too, like no fault of her own. I just was like a very embarrassed kid. Mm -hmm. And then as I grew up, I got less so and I really wanted to empower my kids to have normal conversations. I think I'm like half winning. One of them's a little bit more cautious than the other. (laughs) But my son is so curious and so interested. And, you know, like when I was talking to the girls about their periods, he was like, can I also try this stuff? Like he wanted to see like the leak proof underwear and stuff, just like the girls. And I thought this is, this is exactly how it should be. And, you know, I'm so grateful. I have a husband now who is not weirded out by vagina conversations, totally not weirded out by like us having conversations about my period or even discharge and like normal stuff. Yep. But a lot of guys are, and I realize that a lot of it comes from all the way down from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And this like rooted in like, it's shame, it's taboo. Like, let's not talk about it. And I think oftentimes we think, oh, that really sets women up for failure, but it actually sets men up for failure too, because they're, they're losing out on those same levels of intimacy with women. So how have your boys kind of like adapted to kind of being comfortable in this, like what has been societally uncomfortable for so long? Yeah, well, they didn't really have a choice. <laughs> well, I guess, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, but I a thousand percent agree with what you're saying, and that and if if we in this generation, mm-hmm. as as ourselves, can start to become comfortable with these conversations and start to understand and and normalize talking about it, not taboo, yeah. then that translates to our children as well, and then they will grow up with a different experience. And so yeah. we. I mean, I I have vulva puppets. I have pelvis. I have vulva necklaces. I've got all sorts of paraphernalia oh around the house. I have a vulva mug. And my kids are like, nice. is, that a, is that illegal to have out in public? And I was like, oh, I will walk around <laughs> in the neighborhood if with this if you want me to. Totally. Like, yeah. I, I love it. I'm like, here's a clitoris and like, here's yes. a labia. And like, and I just, secretly and they are so like, happy to have that knowledge. Well, they know what it is. Exactly. Like now they actually have it. I didn't, I didn't even know that there was a third hole until mm-hmm. I was after I had children. Mm-hmm. It was actually because they put a catheter in and I was like, how can you put a catheter in? I was, I guess it was during birth that I found out. How can you be putting a catheter in when I'm about to push out a baby? I was so confused. Yep. That's when I found out I had a third hole. Yeah. Like that's how unaware I was. Yeah. And blissfully unaware, I guess in a way, but it, as I've learned down the road is that, you know what, knowledge is power and you yep. actually get to do, get to be an advocate for yourself. But I'm curious for a lot of people who are in situations where they're already in a relationship with somebody who's very uncomfortable about these things. 
How can we empower women, especially in terms of like self-love and touch and just understanding their own stuff, even with a partner who's maybe not comfortable about those things? Mm -hmm. Do you find that we're still kind of like working through women's? Like, cause mm -hmm. I feel like I'm like past that phase, but I can imagine that women are still struggling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and yes, absolutely are. And, and the, I remember when I started this 15 years ago and, and we Instagram wasn't around. Yeah. Facebook was still very much a personal thing. There was really yeah. nothing business. The only kind of business platform that was being used was Twitter. Yeah. And so that's kind of where people were starting to reach out. And I remember, yeah. you know, putting in the terms pelvic floor and even learning like what the hell's a hashtag and going yeah. hashtag pelvic floor and, <laughs> and seeing who was talking about it. And that was kind of the first conversation starter. Yeah. But in the last, especially like say five years or so, three to five years, the conversations around pelvic floor has exploded. The number of people talking about it is, which is amazing. It's amazing. And now more people are informed and now more people, instead of people saying, I've never heard of pelvic floor physio, they're saying, oh yeah, I've heard about it. I follow this person or this, or that's how I found you because yeah. somebody told me. And so it's getting out there more and it is becoming more talked about. There are still people that they're, for whatever reason, there's many different influences in their lives that maybe they're reluctant mm -hmm. um, to talk or reluctant to seek help. And that's fine. The beauty of social media is it's there. Yeah. Kind of like what you're doing with, with your page is that yeah. people connect to what you've gone through, what you yeah. are going through, what whatever, and they can learn. So you were, you're in a very different place now than you were, but there are some people who are in the place where you were and 100%. you are supporting them through that. And it's the same thing happening in these conversations as well. So it is heads and tails above where it was. And yes, there's still room to improve. There's lots to, a uh, lot of room to improve yeah. and more places to go kind of thing. But I'm thankful for the awareness that's being created and the the communities that are happening now where women can go and feel uh, like I have a, a private Facebook group called Box oh. Talk. So <laughs> when it's private and people can come yeah, in and they can ask, ask questions, questions. Yeah. and the, there's knowing that everybody that's in there has so been nice. pre-approved with, and they're dealing yep. with common things and then yep. they can, you know, not just hear from me, but hear from other people that are struggling. So they know they're not alone. Yeah, and because not everybody has those situations where they can bounce off ideas, even with their girlfriends or like not totally. everybody has those same experiences. Not all vaginas are the same. All vaginas yep. are good vaginas. But like, I was literally the girl that even went and like, there was a page at one point, I don't know how many years ago, where it just showed all different women's labias and mm -hmm. not in a pornographic way, but in a way that showed you that labias were normal because and I different. think for so much, many of us, and I, and I follow so many pages like that now. And that's why I love what you're doing so much in, in terms of the social media side of it, because I just remember that feeling of aloneness and feeling mm -hmm. like my vagina looks weird or mm -hmm. my vagina is gross. And then these weird little tidbits of information or these images that kind of show you that they're all so diverse and so different and so beautiful in different ways. And there's not really like one right vagina out there. No. And and it's actually just really changed my whole perspective in terms of like how I feel about my body and just like even my confidence around it all, right? So mm -hmm. like I can't even remember the last time I was like, oh, I'm like I even have like a, a there was a stitch after Bowden was born that like didn't actually heal the spot. So I'm like I always call it my trick labia. Mm -hmm. But like that used to devastate me. I was so like ashamed of it. And now mm -hmm. I was like, oh it's my trick labia. It's like totally. what happened during birth, right? Totally. So yeah. I mean you kind of get to normalize these things. So I think it's I think it's really cool that you have have that. I think it's really amazing that you have a community where people can kind of 
tap into it because I think we all know not everybody has those support systems, which totally. is the freaking power of social media, man. Yeah. It's incredible. And it's the confidence really piece is a big one that you just mentioned that mm-hmm. it's, the, the media tells us that light bladder leakage is just part of being a woman. And well, they sell products to help it. Like, right. and, and that's great. Those things should exist. I think we don't, yes. we shouldn't just have to pee ourselves until we're better. Exactly. However. There's help and that should be a temporary measure. Yes. And it shouldn't be something that, it, the impression is that it's just something that you have to just be like, oh, well, I'm a woman and it happens and I just need to accept it and yes. I need to wear pads for the rest of my life. Yeah. And. So they play a role, a thousand percent agree, but I would, I would love it if the messaging could be more around your confidence doesn't have to come by masking a symptom, Mm. that confidence really comes from actually addressing the problem and that it is very, very treatable and it's very, very common. You're not the only one dealing with it, but use this while you're seeking help and then you won't have to wear pads for the rest of your life. Because that's where the true confidence, I call it core confidence, comes from is when you can go to your exercise class and do a jumping jack and know that you're okay and you you don't have to have your pad in. Or, um, you know, it, it, it consumes so much of your thought when you're constantly putting a pad in or you, you laugh through the day and you, you've know, you know, that you've just leaked and yeah, you know, and I, and I think that that's so important too, because I've, I've literally gone up to fitness instructors and said, Hey, just so you know, if there's any jumping in the class, I can't do that part. Just know that I'm okay. It's just that I have like bladder leakage issues. And I've never had a fitness instructor say to me, no problem. Maybe go get your pelvic floor checked. It literally was one of my followers. That was the one who said it after I jokingly said something about it. So, I mean, I I agree with you. I think confidence does come with information. I think it acknowledges power and we need to use it more and more. And that's exactly why I'm like truly so excited that we're having this conversation. But I want people, I realize that we're like, this is the tip of an iceberg. I mean, we're literally, it's been like 49 minutes (laughs) and I want people to get to know what you're doing. I want them to empower themselves. I want them to feel confident about their vaginas and, you know, do a proper Kegel Mm -hmm. and all of those things. Where can they find you? How can they start tapping into your community? Because I absolutely love what you're doing. Thank you. Likewise, the vaginacoach.com or not the, but vaginacoach.com is okay. is uh, kind of my main website. Okay. Um, if you are pregnant, you can check out belliesinc.com as well. Oh, nice. Um, there's on Vagina Coach, I have resources for pregnant or non-pregnant people. Yeah. Um, Bellies Inc. is definitely very much focused on yeah, the, of the pregnant population. But um, yeah, Vagina Coach is kind of the, the online presence that I have, social media as well as the website. And you can find the 28-day challenge there. Um, also the other programs that I have, if you're interested or the coaching. So I do one-on-one coaching with women as well. And um, yeah, so I'm really, really grateful for you for having me and helping me get the message out because I think that, well, of course I want more women to, to hear about it. I'm really, really excited that you're joining the challenge and looking forward to your your thoughts. This is like a total culmination of things because people always tell me that papayas look like vaginas and I completely agree. (laughs) So this is the perfect little partnership moment. We're having our papaya vagina power moment (laughs) and we're all going to go get our I don't know, what are we going to call our superpowered vaginas? But we'll come up with a name and it's going to be powerful and it's yeah. going to be amazing. Yeah. So thank you so much. I'm really thank excited you. for people to get to know you. And yeah, hope you guys check out Vagina Coach on Insta, on her website. Go find all the things. Go get your vagina power and we will talk to you next week. Well, friends, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to today's episode. For more information on this episode, check out the show notes or find us on Instagram at The Papaya Podcast. And if you loved what you just listened to or know somebody who would, please share it. Simply screenshot today's episode in the podcast app and share it to your Instagram stories. And don't forget to tag us. 
Last but not least, if you'd like to lend your personal support to the podcast, take a moment and leave a review on iTunes. We would be oh so grateful. Tune in next week for a fresh new episode of the Papaya Podcast, and we'll see you then.